dedicated to each and every one of you who appreciate a great glass of wine. You know what I mean? It's Monday. Let's raise a glass to the beginning of another week. It's time to unscrew, uncork, or savor a bottle. And let's begin exploring the wine glass. Today, I sat down with John Merrick of Mia Wines and enjoyed a glass of his award-winning Vermentino. A fellow Paso Robles winemaker, I enjoyed the first in-person allure of the poor in almost two years. Mia Wines' tasting room is located in a Tuscadero, just a short drive from downtown Paso. Have you rated and reviewed Exploring the Wine Glass yet? I know it seems weird, I have absolutely no clue why, but each review makes such a difference in the eye of the all-knowing algorithm of iTunes. So please help other wine lovers find me. Thank you and enjoy the conversation. Slancha. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Budd, a UC Davis winemaking program, someday service, champagne specialist, and WSET level two graduate. You can find Exploring the Wine Glass on all the socials, as well as your favorite podcast catchers. If you haven't subscribed yet, now's the perfect time to swipe, subscribe, rate, and review. I promise I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the next episode of Allure of the Poor, sponsored by Dracina Wines. Today, I am on location in a Tuscadero at... Mia Winery with John Merrick. So welcome, John. Thank you very much. I am excited to be here. This is actually the first one that I'm doing in a long time that is on location. So it is nice to be here and nice to see your tasting room. We'll give uh, you an opportunity to describe how people can come find you here on Traffic Way in Atascadero. But before we get into that, my first question is always the the origin story you know how did you get into the wine industry right right so i've owned a property in paso robles for about uh, 15 years and in 2011 i decided to plant a small vineyard to sort of uh, uh, experiment and toy with the idea of making wine so i became a home winemaker in 2011 started making wine in 2014 and because home winemaking uh, tends to grow, I sort of grew out of the home winemaking and had to find a way to uh, make it into a business. So <laughs> we eventually went looking for a uh, space to bond a winery and we found this location in Tascadero just last August. So um, wow. we're pretty new in the industry. Yeah, it definitely is a hobby that becomes an obsession that becomes a growing need to pursue your passion. I get it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you originally uh, went to school to be an architect, correct? Yes. So what did, what was your goal? You know, did you actually work as an architect or while you were studying architecture, like, nah, let's start with this home thing (laughs) and go from there. (laughs) No, I, I studied architecture and I became an architect in 1993 and I worked, uh, uh, for about 15 years in the industry and I had my own company in Southern California um, in 2007 I uh, sold that company and from then on I started looking for something else to do to fill to fill the work with passion instead yes right? and I've been interested in wine for a long time spent a lot of time traveling and so forth and so um, you know this was definitely 
the direction I was headed. I just wasn't exactly sure how I was going to get there. <laughs> and you know, that's part of the fun though, is actually finding the road to get to where you want to be. Yes. So, so you uh, said you planted in 2011, your first vintage was 2014. How many cases did you produce back then? Um, you know, those were, because they were young vines, and I really didn't know what I was doing in the uh, vineyard at the time. So um, I had very small harvests, and I was working out of carboys and stuff like that. And so, you know, I was producing something somewhere between 5 and 20 gallons of each uh, variety at the time. Um, and really just learning how to make wine. So I didn't really, you know, I didn't bottle anything for a long time and I really didn't make wine that I thought was, you know, good enough to be, you know, in the industry at the time until a few years into it. And then, you know, it, it really changed once you kind of get your, get used to the process. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, you can't just walk into a vineyard and produce wine that is sellable or... Right, you know. right. Well, and not only that, but it's, it was also a matter of uh, knowing that it's half the vinification and it's half the vineyard itself. And because I was still developing my vineyard, I wasn't really getting the, the grapes the way that I wanted them uh, for the harvest, and that all added to the complexity and difficulties of the of the start. But you know that you get through that. Right. And what vineyard? What uh, varietals did you plant? So I planted four. Well, I originally planted six varieties, uh, but I found that because it's a very small vineyard, it's only one acre, and six varieties. Is, creates two small batches of wine for each for each variety that you're trying to vinify. So I grafted two of them over to others and so I'm left with uh, Syrah, Tempranillo, Vermentino, and Albarino. Oh, Albarino. That, that is awesome. And I'm seeing more and more Albarino coming in this area and so I think that it's a popular or an up-and-coming grape variety. Yeah. 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 And, yeah, for me, it's really just been about discovering the vines that are available in the area that were, that I found interesting in tasting wines from around the world. So these fit the bill for that. All right. And you, the vineyard itself is in the Adelaide district. Correct. And so, can you tell my listeners a little bit about the district? What it, you know, what type of soil it has? What is the climate sure. like there? Yeah, um, there's the soil and the climate are. Uh, probably more mild than most of the other areas of like the east side of Pastor Robles and so forth. It's definitely west side. It definitely has some ocean influence, but it still warms up. So because of the hills and the direction of the hills and everything, it's a warm growing place. My vineyard happens to be on the northeast side of the hill. So it is kind of protected from some of the weather uh, and some of the harshest portions of the sunlight from that, from that point of view. The soil is pretty much all clay and limestone. So we are the, the uh, uh, at least on my property is that. There are other um, soil areas right around me. So it changes quite quickly in that area. 
And now do you live on this vineyard, say, or is it just a straight vineyard? Uh, no, it is a property. I do have a house on the property, but I do split my time between a house in Atascadero and the, the ranch in Paso Robles. So we, so we can kind of stay at either house whenever, whenever we want to. Very nice, very nice. We're looking to do a house in Paso, and then we have property in, a, in a Arroyo. So, mm-hmm. so same thing, don't want to be driving that right, distance right. all the time. At, at, least, at least at the times where it's critical, where you need to be there early in the morning and so forth, I might go out. You need a place to sleep when it's, you know, harvest time at four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. (laughs) And now you're originally from Omaha, correct? Yes, I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, and I went to college in Lincoln, Nebraska. uh, And then I relocated to California after college to pursue my career in architecture. And so I've actually been to Omaha, probably (laughs) one of the rare people have been to Omaha, but uh, World Series of Baseball. Yes, it is. College, college World Series. World, yes, College World Series of Baseball. And they also have gambling there. So that was really <laughs> that was really the combination of why we went there. Did some gambling, watched a little baseball. It was, gambling it was, on the Missouri River. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and you did mention that you do a lot of travel. You had done a lot of traveling. Um, and on the website, it says you traveled in pursuit of life experiences. <laughs> so what's, what are some life experiences you found along the routes? Well, uh, I started in high school. I ended up doing an exchange student project with, uh, uh, in my French class. So I was an exchange student for a couple of months in southern France when I was, in, when I was a teenager. Um, I don't think that that really got me too far in the pursuit of wine in the, the world at that time. But it was certainly it's a life experience. It really certainly is a life experience that uh, it makes you reach out for more. Uh, and then you know later on, I've I've always been interested in traveling and wine, and so I've done trips to France, to Spain, and to Italy. I've been to Greece, and I've had wines in you know all those places, and so sort of you start collecting the memories of those things, and then if you're diligent about it, you start to sort of catalog some of that information and continue to pursue it, you know, in the products that are imported to the U.S. and, right. and you know that's been a big part of it. And I think that's a huge positive to a winemaker that you are expanding your palate. To different regions because it does I, I think the more for lack of a better word advanced palate you have the better you can see what your wines are and taste those expressions that the grapes are are giving out and how to direct the the best expression that you can get out of it certainly and i think we're all novices at that and it takes a <laughs> lot of time working on that to try to uh, hone in on some of those things, but I think it's a it's an interesting pursuit to try to master. Right, and I love that it's in different countries and different regions because it is very easy to get a house palette. And, it is, you know, not only just your own house palette, but a Paso house palette or you know the the Central Coast house palette. It's always good, I think, to explore out other regions to see what they offer because I think that they can come back and Certainly. benefit you in yeah, your winery. Yeah. Well, in fact, we were just in. Um, in Mexico, and whenever I'm in Mexico, I'm always trying the the wines from the no, I can't remember the name of the valley that's right right near on Baja that uh, offers quite a quite an interesting lineup of wines, and found them to be quite good. There you go. Surprisingly, 
That's yeah. nice. That's nice. Maybe, maybe not surprisingly. I think they've been at it for quite a long what? time. So, um, <laughs> but it's it was a new to you, so it's a surprising there yeah. that way. And, I mean, I've known about them for for quite a while, and I always try to taste them when I'm there. It just depends on what the offering is when you happen to do a restaurant and you're, right. you're looking for something. Right, and that's the thing. We do that too when we're traveling. You know, we're always loving to just take the house wine from wherever we go because it is that terroir usually, it's Correct. that region. Um, so it's always nice to, to see that. Yes. Um, we actually, when we travel out of the country, we, we actually always end our night by going to like the local normal store, whatever, grocery store, and just picking a single bottle out from the actual region because, A, it's so cheap, um, but it's a nice way to end the night. But it's a good way just to explore a little bit of what that area has to offer in addition to trying to travel to see the wineries themselves. You know? Yeah, yeah. So you do, we know you have some estate wines. You are still making uh, wine from your estate. Uh, and then all of your estate wines seem to have, on the website, seem to have had the same label except for the one wine that has a hummingbird on it. So, uh, was that Flor or Fiori? Uh, yes, yeah. yes. And so, uh, story behind the hummingbird, why that label <laughs> is different? Well, uh, it's different for two reasons. One is that uh, the, the Hills logo that you, or the, the label that you see on the earlier wines are the, were the first releases that we did so they were the 2018 red wines and the 2019 white wines. Uh, the Flore is a 2020 wine, and we just went a different direction with our labels. Oh, okay. So we don't really have a true path. We, we really just have a logo, and the labels are just sort of whatever we want them to be for the year. So we're, we're continuing to change those labels as we go. So the, the original label for the, 2000, for the 2018 reds and 2019 whites is derived from a view from the patio at the ranch. Ah. The hummingbird is interesting in that it was an actual photo that uh, Daniela, my, my partner, um, took at one of our neighbor's house and we just loved the photo so much that we turned it into a label. So it was a hummingbird that was buzzing around near, <laughs> right nearby us and uh, I think it might have been the one that actually landed on my finger at one point, but uh, I am it so was really jealous. cool. <laughs> it was really cool. I am so jealous. I have, oh, you know, I see all of those pictures or videos of hummingbirds landing on people and hummingbirds all over and I have hummingbird stuff everywhere yeah. and I get hummingbirds but none has ever landed on me so I'm so jealous. Rare occasion. Usually, they're <laughs> flying around very, very fast. Yes, so. very, very fast. So, yeah. tell us the story behind the name. So, Mayo Wine. Uh, you know, we were really searching for a a name for our winery that was simple, and <laughs> maybe maybe we didn't find that, but uh, that was short and that we could use for the logo itself. And we, Daniela and I, have. Uh, tried to keep the vision of the winery to be small. We, we want to be small. We're just doing this as a small family winery project. Nothing to grow large. And so when I came up with the name Maya, Maya is Latin for mine. So it's really just a, a nice little play on the word of come and, come and taste my wine. 
Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. So kind of sort of how some wineries call their winery after themselves. Mm -hmm. This is still you calling it after yourself. This is my pride and joy, but just in a Latin way of saying this is my, my pride and joy. Yeah, and, and in a way it's also... Uh, Using Latin words to me, Latin is interesting in that it's it's uh, the history of wine. You know, it's it's such a big player in the history of European wines, and eventually how wine got to us in California. So, you know, it's a tribute to the to the original winemakers. I know there was winemaking like a long time before that, <laughs> but they really did right. most of the work in developing the vineyards for in, throughout Europe. Well, I get the Latin. Our Dracina is Latin also, so I, I follow suit with that. <laughs> um, so what do we have here today? So today we're going to be tasting the 2019 Vermentino from the estate. And we just recently received a gold medal from the uh, Central Coast Wine Competition. Congratulations. Wine. Thank you. So let's give it a try. Now, Vermentino is another one that is not the most popular um, commonplace to yes. see here. So it's, I always get excited when I see, when I see it. So. Yes, Vermentino for me was a wine that I've had many different, uh, many different instances of it in, from Italy because it is grown in several different places. It's grown in the volcanic uh, uh, soils in Sicily and then it's also grown in a few different areas uh, throughout uh, Italy and it's also in southern France known as Rollet I believe okay and so uh, uh, and then it was also available because Chablis Creek this was actually one of their the vines that they brought in along with all of the Chateauneuf du Pop uh, right. varieties and so I was able to get it from the, the nurseries. Nursery. Yeah. So what are you, when you were growing the vines, what were you looking for as you were getting ready to harvest? Um, you mean in terms of, you know, what is the ideal? What is the, right. the harvest? Well, you know, Vermentino for me is interesting in that it's one of the least difficult grapes to grow. And, you know, and... I'm learning this along the way. I mean, now I have 10 years of experience in growing these vines. And so I delight when I see the Vermentino Verazin, doing Verazin because it's such a beautiful cluster of grapes, It'll, you know, all the time, every year. Very low mildew uh, and uh, big berries. And it's really just, uh, it's pretty easy to get you know get the right ripeness and the right flavors from it because i i actually haven't really gotten much of a uh problems in harvest with this grape i've had trouble with the other ones but the <laughs> this one's fairly uh, even ripening and so forth very nice it is um it has a uh the aroma it's got a little um I wouldn't say spice, but kind of a baking it, baking spice in there a little bit. Not not a huge dominant of it, but it, it's in the background. Correct. And yes, I, I find that this wine, this particular wine, has a very nice mouthfeel, big mouthfeel. It has, it's less aromatic than things like Viognier and Albarino, where you get a lot more of the flowery taste. And so for me, it seems 
the reason that I like it so much is that to me it tastes like a sophisticated white wine. It's more subtle than some of those other ones. It doesn't get nutty like a Roussan. No. It doesn't get flowery like a Viognier. It doesn't get a whole bunch of orange blossom or anything in it. But it does get a nice conglomeration of many flavors all put together right. into it. And nice it, aromas. It's got, a, it's got that stone fruit that's in there. Um, and... And on the palate, it is it is a uh, medium plus palate. Um, mm -hmm. It is a, a beautiful pale straw color. And now a word from our sponsor. Josina Wines loves to give back. There are so many fur babies that deserve to find their forever home. We would love to be able to help as many as possible. If you are part of a nonprofit organization or know of a nonprofit organization that would like to hold a fundraiser, please contact us at contact at dracinawines.com or visit our website, dracinawines.com, to fill out the form. How does the fundraiser work? It is super simple and costs your group absolutely nothing. Together, we will choose a month that your group will be sponsored. During the month, you promote the fundraiser just like any other event you'd hold. At the end of the month, we will donate 20% of the sales to your organization. The donations will be made in the name of each individual who purchased the wine so that you know exactly who helped the animals. Our goal is to raise as much funds as we possibly can and to help as many animals as possible. So please help us help as many fur babies as we possibly can. So how many cases of this do you produce? Um, I think we produced about 50 cases of this Fermentino, so it was it was a good harvest year for us, but again, it's a very small vineyard, so we were able to um, uh, do, a, this, is, this is a big harvest for us, for, the, <laughs> for, for this grape, but they're pretty big clusters, and so we do get uh, quite a nice uh, harvest out of it if we've got good weather, and it looks like we're shaping up for a good Another harvest one. this year as well. And in terms of ripening, where does this fall in to play of when, when it's uh, yeah, it's fine. Typical. The, the, <laughs> yes, it does. It's um, medium. You know, it, it's a good ripening time. What, my vineyard tends to ripen very early. We get an early bud break and we get an early harvest. Okay. So uh, it doesn't take. It doesn't have a very long hang time that it needs to get to ripe. So it makes it actually very convenient for us because we've found that the Albarino and the Vermentino tend to want to come off the plants at almost the same time. Oh, okay. So it's very convenient, especially when you're dealing with vineyard labor and a very small vineyard. Right, right. So the Albarino and the, the you said the Onier? The, the Vermentino. Want, oh, oh, the Vermentino yeah. want to come out at the same time or the Albarino and Viognier? Uh, I, I buy the Viognier. Oh, okay. Vermentino and, and Albarino oh, okay. are what I have on the property. Okay. And they do come off at the same, same time. time. Oh, okay. So that is nice. Viognier is a little, is later. A little, yeah. Okay. All right. A little bit later. So you, where are you sourcing your fruit from? How do you get, I think as a young winery, it's difficult to make those connections. It is. Um, yeah. So, how did you make these connections? Where are you getting? Where are you getting your wine, your fruit from, that you're sourcing? Yeah. Uh, well, it started by 
that I started sourcing fruit from a next door neighbor's vineyard, a next door neighbor that wanted me to make some wine for him. Yes. His name's Matt Jones, and he used to be in the uh, industry here, and he, is, he has since sold his ranch, um, but he's still farming that vineyard for through, up through this harvest. Mm-hmm. So I started there, and, and I actually got the references through his vineyard manager to some other small vineyards that are in the area, and started looking for sources through that connection. And I've made a few, a few good connections on that. Uh, because I'm always looking for other small vineyards to, uh, to buy my grapes from in order to kind of keep everything not only in the area, but also in, from vineyards that I can you know, walk the vineyard and then I make, you know, that I have a hand in the, in the process. Right. And that, that, I think, is one of the things that is so Paso-centric, is it is about those connections. And like you said, that person connected you to other people. Mm-hmm. And, that, and once you start to get the connections, you're able to get more connections and things yeah. like that. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, it, it is a very evolving process. And so it does take some time. And I don't think I'm really everywhere that I want to be yet. But I've made some good friends along the way, so it's, it's working out very well. So have you made any wine that you no longer make because you're like, no, I don't like that grape or anything? Well, I am, I am kind of transitioning out of the Bordeaux and Chardonnay um, uh, winemaking because... It, and it's not that I don't like those. <laughs> I do. Wine reasons it, why, there, yeah. There's many reasons, right? <laughs> For me, it's really just there's so many things out there that you have to pick and choose the things that you want to make and that you want to be uh, experimenting with. And so for me, it just, it's become too many. So I, if I stop making a few of those i have room for the fermentations of other wines that Absolutely. i'm interested in so this year we're going to do a smaller program than we did in the last couple of years just to um just just to kind of get more of a feel for the market for the for the wines but also just because i want to concentrate on a few on a less number of wines so we've been looking we've been working with Grenache this last year as it the first year that we've done Grenache is 2020 and we'll be repeating that this year mm-hmm. for 2021 and then we'll only be doing rather than Cabernet Merlot and Chardonnay we'll just be doing the Merlot this year okay from yeah. from the Bordeaux right. so now the opposite question what is your favorite grape to work with you know I I really have come to love Viognier outside of my vineyard, but Viognier's I guess it would be number three on the white wines because I will always be working with Vermentino and Albarino. But Viognier is the one that I've reached out for, and I'm also interested in Marsan and Roussan in those in in the same capacity, the white Rhone uh, grapes. However, that said, when you're a really small winery, it's hard to get all of those things into the winery and keep them going. So. I, I have to choose one at a time in order to not let things get out of hand. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I get it. I completely get it. Uh, so how many cases are you at about now? Uh, we're, we try to aim for 500 cases a year. Okay. And, and that is, that's hard to do when I work with this many grapes and I already have my own vineyard that everything, that 
everything from that vineyard is going to go into a fermentation. So that limits what I acquire from other places. And now, where do you see it going? How, you know, do you have a number in your head of, I don't want to go any higher than that, or this is, this is the sweet spot range that I down the road hope to be? Well, we definitely know that 500 cases a year is not a sweet spot when it comes to <laughs> the economics. There is a lot of overhead for 500 cases of wine. <laughs> And with costs going up on just about everything, everything. that goes into the wine, um, I don't see that getting any better. <laughs> uh, but we certainly aren't looking for a sweet spot in the economics of it. We, it, is, it is in the winemaking. And so really the goal is not to get much bigger than that. I think yeah. if, if we are always hovering between 500 and 1,000 cases, we'll, we'll feel comfortable. But that's gonna, you know, that also is going to be based on our wine club and who, where, where the wine is being put and so forth. Absolutely. It's always, it's always adjustable. Yeah, it's always certainly. adjustable. Um, I, li I like the 1,000 sweet spot because I think that that's big enough to handle the majority of that overhead that is cost per you know, bottle, you know, like that, the, just to be a winery, the right. money that goes it's just to that. Whether you make one bottle or a million bottles, it's still that same price, right? Certainly. Right. There's there's a lot of just to be a winery costs. Yes, yes. But at one thousand I think that you're you're big enough to help that, but you're still small enough where and I could be completely wrong, but I'm getting the vibe that you want to be the face behind the wine, you yes. and Danielle and yeah. and at a thousand it's still you. Yeah. You're controlling everything. Yeah, certainly, certainly. That is that's the ultimate goal on this, is just to do the winery within the realm of being able to service it and have the have our faces be the faces mm -hmm. of the winery. And now let's talk about that other face, yes, Daniela. Yes, so tell us a little about Daniela, how you guys met, how yeah. this went. So Daniela and I met about four years ago, a little over four years ago, and uh, I quickly took her into my wine world. And so she comes from a business uh, side. She was a, a controller in a, a local company in San Luis. And so she has been training herself to transition from the book and accounting world of uh, real estate and, uh, and uh, a construction company into the wine world. And she's done a great job doing that. So she's, and then her palate is fantastic. So I love having her be a, a part of the wine tasting and the wine blending part of the winery that I started, that I started on my own. And then also she's been, you know, spending a lot of time doing all of our social media, doing our website, doing labels. She's really sort of the art hand on, on all of the uh, materials that we need for the winery. All the stuff that people who drink the wine don't realize goes into the decision making <laughs> of the wine. <laughs> yes, we're coming. We have a bottling next week, and we're in a rush, rush, rush mode right now to get everything together. And I think everything's going to come the last, the day before the bottling. Stress, so <laughs> stressful, so stressful. Uh, and it's happened to us morning of or you know the right. afternoon before, and our very first bottling, uh, we had the labels in the wrong direction. So the very first, the first labeling, I sat there and took all of our labels and hand rewound them. Never, ever, ever want to do that again. No. 
So some of your fruit is estate and some of it is sourced. Do you, do you plan on growing your estate vineyard in the future or is that one acre? Um, I did consider it for quite a while and I went through several iterations of uh, expanding to enough estate fruit to do my 500 to 1,000 case lot. But my property happens to be in a place where that's very difficult. And then with the, you know, the latest regulations that they've instituted in the last five years or so, it's made it even, <clears throat> even more restrictive. And really, it's not very feasible to do that, that work to expand the vineyard. So, I mean, I'm okay with that because I really like the sourcing as long as I can get it to exactly where I want it to be. Then I put the trust in the farmers and the, and the uh, vineyard managers anyway to get the work done for me. Right, absolutely. And so, and you, you said that your estate, you take all of the fruit. You do not sell any Correct. of your fruit? Yeah. Okay. But it's so small that it really wouldn't be worth it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? There's uh, there, there is are, a market for it. Yeah. There, there is a market. There are lots of people that have the small vineyards, and all they do is sell the fruit. So, right. you know, I've, I've got friends that do that as well. Right. And you have you have interesting varieties there that yeah. people would be looking for. They so. would, but this is this is the Mayo Wine Program, so. Right. Absolutely. Stick with that. Absolutely. So we are sitting in your tasting room. So, uh, and you said you opened it in May. And so it's attached to your production facility. Correct. And a barrel room back there. So where, where are we? Tell people where you are, how they can find you. Right. Yes. So we're located on 4405 Traffic Way in Atascadero. And that's about a mile and a half from the intersection near the freeway of uh, Traffic Way in El Camino, which is where the Carlton Hotel is. So if you travel eastward and then northward on Traffic Way, you get to our winery that way. We're in an industrial building on the east side of the street, and the, the facility was kind of already set up for you know, industrial space and a small office, and we just converted the office into our tasting room. So we've got a nice little, you know, a few hundred square foot tasting room along with a little outdoor area that was, uh, that we were able to set up as a result of the uh, coronavirus rules to get outdoor seating. And then the rest of the facility is the production facility and we, we will also be doing events on, outside the, the tasting room in the facility there. So I'm sitting here and I am seeing quite a bit of metals here. <laughs> So, uh, and including a best of class medal. So that's yes. it, uh, and a yes. double gold. So tell us about some of these medals. What is this best of class for? All right, so the best of class and double gold were both given to us for our 2017 Merlot. And then we got a gold medal for this 2019 Vermentina that we have. And we got a couple of silvers and a few bronze medals as well for a few and that we've that and I, uh, another a few other wines that we entered into the competition. So we're very proud of the Merlot and the Vermentino for getting sort of the top top medals in the. Uh, oh, that's a best of class yeah. is always always Certainly. so 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 impressive. And in Merlot, you know, there's 
there's a finicky palate for Rubelloso <laughs> to get best most, of class. What most people have said is that it uh, it's definitely a very typical uh, Merlot, and I, I'd say that for myself, I don't really know that, but um, I'm delighted by the uh, uh, fruity characteristics that it uh, shows, so it's a nice Merlot. Uh, unfortunately, it's also one that we don't have very much of. <laughs> 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 we only have a few cases of it left, and we entered it into the competition because we thought it was good. There you go. So, there you go. And is that one in a state or is that, that one's a uh, source? That one's sourced fruit from that my next door neighbor's uh, oh, vineyard. Oh, good neighbor to have. It was. Good it neighbor is. to have. Did you, did you go knock on his door and... I did, immediately. You said, woohoo, look what you grew, look what you That's grew. Right. We're, we are perfect partners, best of class. That <laughs> is fantastic. Right. That is really, congratulations. Mm, thank you. Um, so what else? You said Daniela does the social media. So where can people find you on social media? So uh, Mayo Wines is the uh, hashtag for uh, Instagram and face Facebook. And um, you can also go to our website at mayowine.com. Okay. And it is M-E-A for the spelling when you're looking it up. And uh, Instagram? Uh, Mayo Wines. Mayo, wine, Mayo, Mayo wines, wines with the Ness. Yes. So they are there. And did I skip anything? Um, is there another wine you want to talk about? Because I'm, I'm okay staying here talking longer because this, this Vermentino is beautiful. So I have no problem drinking a little bit more. <laughs> um, it, no, I think we can, uh, we can talk about the Vermentino. And, that, um, and I think the other ones that I... And sort of that we I really like and I'd like to introduce people to one of the other wines is called Costera that was a blend that we did of the four grapes that we made the four white grapes that we made in 2019 so we took a we had some wines that didn't get to the uh, uh, bottling and so we did a later bottling of it's a 40% blend of Chardonnay with 20% each of the Vermentino, Albarino, and Viognier. And it's a, I think it's a delightful wine. It's sort of like one of those easy drinking wines. And it has the, an overall flavor of Chardonnay, but it's sort of softened and enveloped by those more aromatic right. varieties that we put in with it. And the name? Can't Costera. Costera means coastal in Spanish. And so it really was just a, a play on the, the sourcing of our grapes is that are sort of from the, the Central Coast area. They are all from very close to us, that are from, but they're not all within the Adelaida district. So it's Adelaida, Willow Creek, and then some of the San Luis Obispo oh. um, outside the Appalachians. Well, it sounds like a wonderful blend. It is, it's, yeah. And in my opinion, anything with Albarino is, is you know, that that uh, saltiness that Albarino just is so known for yeah. uh, brings it in. And then the aromatics of the other wines sound, sound like it really can round out the Chardonnay. Mm -hmm. Yes, and then also our 2019 Albarino is interesting in that I, I aged that wine in a new acacia barrel. Ah. And so it is, it's rather forward acacia flavors. To it so it's a very unique wine um, that I think that if you are looking for something that has sort of some woody values to it it's definitely worth trying 
Do you increase the palate? Is it a, a fuller palate? Um, it is. It, I mean, I think it, it adds a little bit of structure to the wine, but really it's, it's more like the... Um, Kind of, kind of like the vanillin and the lactones okay. from from an oak barrel. It's got its own sort of set of uh, woody overtones to it. So it's it's an interesting taste. It's a it's definitely maybe tastes a little bit more old world in that respect. Um, we also just to just to plug another wine. We've got a few cases left of our 2018 sparkling Viognier, a, oh. pet, a pet nap that we did. Wow! Yeah, we I think we only made 18 cases of that, but uh, it's a spectacular wine. It came out really nice, very clear, and sort of a gentle bubbles. So it's an interesting sparkling. Very nice, very nice. I love pet nats. It's, I think it's very cool and sparkling. I can never have too many bubbles, so I'm all for that. So we are here on Traffic Way. Uh, just come on down. It's not that far from the Carlton. Everybody knows where the Carlton Inn is. So just come on down, see. Definitely. Uh, we are open, we're, we're normally open Thursday through Sunday afternoons. Um, and then we also, if you go to our website, you can also request that you make an appointment and either within those hours or outside of those hours. We do like to have bookings. You can book online um, just so that we know who's coming and when, and we can give everybody the best experience possible. Is there a tasting fee? There is. There's a $12 tasting fee, but we do waive that with the purchase of one bottle of wine. So, so far, we don't charge very many tasting fees. <laughs> Usually you can find something that you'd like to Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. I, the Vermentino is spectacular. I'm a big fan. Do you, what is the, the suggested price of this? What is the retail price about? Um, I think it's about $32. Oh, okay. All right. And they can order also online. Do you ship? Uh, we do ship. We ship to, uh, I think it's 44 different states through a uh, ally. And uh, we can ship all over through California, yeah. yes, as well. And, and the Vermentino is actually $36. $36. Mm -hmm. And you did mention you have a club, so do you want to tell us we about do, the club? We do have a wine club. We have uh, a 4, 6, and 12 bottle twice per year wine club that gets you 15, 20, and 25% off uh, respectively. And you have pickup parties? I'm we are. We eventually. Will. Eventually. <laughs> we are brand new. We're looking forward to it. I think our first one, we're, we're, gonna, we're getting ready to ship wines for that. I think we're going to probably lay low on that one because we're still sort of getting our house in order. But we will be doing a club pickup shortly. And then we're looking forward to it in the next one and maybe doing a little bit more elaborate celebration. Well, with your location, you can have a huge one. People can <laughs> have so. a blast here. Yeah. So thank you very much for taking the time and for sharing your Romantino with me. And I, I love the vibe of it. I love the artwork that's in here. And, you know, thank I, you. Yeah, I, I built the uh, tasting bar myself. I built it out of some nice. old uh, barrel racks and some uh, reclaimed wood and so forth. And so it's really kind of come out to be a fun little project. It's beautiful. I love it. All of the different materials that are in it. It's fantastic. Yeah, thank you. So thank you again for taking the time. And 
enjoy. I wish you the best of luck. The wines are going to sell because they're excellent. So oh, thank congratulations. You. Thanks. This has been another episode of Exploring the Wine Glass. Thanks for listening. If you have suggestions on what topics you would like me to discuss, please reach out on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Exploring the Wine Glass. I am also on LinkedIn as Lurie Hoytbud. Of course, you can always email me at exploringthewineglass at gmail.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find me more easily. And most importantly, tell your wine-loving friends, because if you like the podcast, they will too. Music is Wine by Kevens. Until next week, slancha. I can feel the vine. That was no brandy. That was no martini. Irish coffee, banana, dark cream, sweet.